Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, Kevin talks to Myron Hunter about applying the acquisition time zones to industry's capture process. Myron is a capture manager for Huntington Ingalls Industries, a multi-billion dollar defense contractor. Before we start, a quick reminder, be sure to join the Contracting Officer Podcast group on LinkedIn to stay connected with other podcast listeners who are winning in the government market. Okay, here's Kevin's conversation with Myron Hunter about the acquisition time zones in the capture process. The reason I wanted to have you on the podcast was that we talked during a podcast feedback session about how you apply the content from the podcast and specifically how you use the acquisition time zones as part of your capture planning. So we'll get into the, to the meat of that, but I kind of wanted to get an idea of where did you get the idea to apply the time zones to the capture process? Honestly, just stumbling upon uh, the podcast, and I, I think constantly uh, anyone who's worked within the federal marketplace uh, as a business development or capture manager, you're always looking for ways in which you can better communicate, that you can perform your duties more efficiently, that you can save yourself time, of course. And for me, that's what the capture uh, process really needed. And, uh, you know, stumbling upon the acquisition uh, time zones, uh, that, that was very key. And a couple of reasons for, for my, my, myself. Uh, I think first, with our organization, uh, typically when you're talking about on a smaller organization side, which I've worked with previously, you are going to have uh, varying degrees of experience across uh, the individuals who are supporting your business development lifecycle. So initially, I was honestly just looking across the web and, and podcasts and, and blogs and through social groups on LinkedIn and things like that, really just to find ways in which I can better drive some of the consistency of understanding to our organization in terms of when we're at this particular stage in our process, here's why you're performing these activities. When it's pre-RFP, here are some of the activities to be associated with your, with your, your, your task timeline, some things that definitely need to be done. So just being able to have a kind of a constructive framework, if you will, that you can place some of those regular duties, activities, and even just give a, a basis of understanding across the organization. That was very key for me early on when I first discovered the, the, the concept. How long have you been listening to the podcast? I've been listening to the podcast now. It's, it's been over a year um, for myself personally. It's been it's and it's been very helpful. It originally started out uh, just really plugging into the to podcast on a somewhat weekly basis, just to keep a pulse, if you will, of what's happening in in, in our industry and and better understanding how to communicate and how to work in tandem with the contracting officers. Um, so that was something that really just started more of a, out of a necessity, <laughs> if you will, just to kind of understand. Uh, where we where we lie and, and and how to best approach again the points or in stakeholders of the government, but uh, it's grown into much more than that. Well, it's a great example of you listen for a year before it really makes sense to have a podcast feedback, and then after that we get we get to really understand how you're using it, and then this made for a, a great story. Before we get to the whole story, I want to stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Paul Schley. He is the executive vice president at the Buffalo Group, and he's in the Washington, D.C. area. He's an engaged Skyway customer and great at giving us feedback. And I want to thank Paul specifically for a recent testimonial for our support and for taking the time to provide feedback on how he's leveraging both the podcast content as well as our consulting. And feedback on how he's using it is how we get better with the podcast and how we better serve our customers. So thanks, Paul, for, for being part of this journey. 
Okay, back to the acquisition time zones as a piece of the capture process. Let me start with, if you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, that's in episode three. And the four zones are requirement zone, the market research zone, RFP zone, and the source selection zone. The requirement zone is just what it sounds like. That's where the requirement is being written by the government. And then the market research zone is where the government goes out and talks to the world and says, okay, how are we going to acquire this thing? The RFP zone is where the, the RFP actually is released and then industry is writing proposals and, and effectively responding. And then the source selection zone is where the decision is made. So those four pieces apply in every acquisition, whether you're, you're buying a, a simple item or you're buying a, a, a weapon system or some kind of an IT network. All of those phases are there. All those zones are there. It's just they take longer. It's really been cool to watch the application of them evolve. So what we're going to cover is there are certain events that happen in certain time zones. And the simplicity of, like you talked about, having that, that structure, that framework to be able to, to educate not only the people on your team, but also to have a process, a repeatable process. And over time, you see ways that you can use these zones to communicate better with all the stakeholders. So walk through how you use each one of these zones in your process. Initially, as I mentioned, it was more of an educational function of an organization. I had a small team of writers and research analysts that were supporting our business development efforts. And so initially, the time zones were used for that, to really kind of educate and, and get everyone on the same page as to why certain activities were being done or conducted throughout our business development process. And we really didn't have much of an associated framework with which to attach that to. You know, we can easily kind of utilize Shipley for that. But I, but I think what happens there is we can really kind of go down a rabbit hole with that, right? You know, it's an expandable uh, kind of framework in and of itself that is, you know, expanded or contracted based on the needs of the organization. I think that's the best way to take an approach with that. But what the acquisition time zones allowed us to do was to really take it from kind of that process level and drill down to more of the procedures that are going to be conducted or going into some of your daily, again, assignments and activities. So that was kind of really the first approach to this. And we utilized that specifically within the requirements time zone to really communicate to those of us who are those individuals, if you're talking your research analysts or your or BD analysts, if you will, or forward-leaning business developers who have boots on the ground, to understand that, hey, this is a time where you really have more leeway or more acceptance to getting in front of the customer and having those conversations. And really, you know, you hear that, that, that term we always use in the industry of, of shaping the opportunity. I like to really reference that as it's truly establishing a relationship and a rapport with the customer. And within the requirement zone, it, having a clear understanding of, of some of those activities that take place there, this allows you to do that. And this is specifically where I like to kind of turn our business development folks on, have them understand that this is where you want to reach out, whether it be to the contracting officer, to understand who are the points of contact at the end user level, at the programmatic level that you need to get in front of. But that's where you should be. And I think that framework certainly gives greater direction to some of the activities because oftentimes in, in that particular phase or as you have your, your hunters, if you will, out there doing the business development process, uh, they could be kind of shotgun blasting all over the place and not being as targeted as they can be to really to maximize their, their, their efforts, right? Okay, and you mentioned targeting. 
as part of even within their requirement zone. And you're talking about the activities, like the the specific people they talk to, which events they go to, you know, where they spend their time shaping because it's during their that particular zone. One of the big things that we really look to attempt to do, even for myself personally, is to develop what that 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 targeting roadmap looks like. You know, it's very easy for us in the beating and capture world to you know, throw the, the darts or the axe at the wall and then walk up to the wall and draw the target. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Instead of doing that, uh, we really, you know, I, I really use this point in time to truly perform a little bit of additional research and legwork at the front end. Because here's, here's one of the things I often uh, continue to echo in my mind, as well as um, this is the rhetoric that I'm using for some of our research support and, and other analysts who are doing some of the same activities is understanding that, yes, it's federal government, but you're still conducting business with people. So what the requirements zone in that phase allows you to truly do is to better gain an understanding as to what is the true mission behind this particular contract effort that you're looking to go after and how do you really fit within that mission? What is it that you can truly bring to the table in support of that customer but most importantly, how do you have that conversation? How do you engage in that dialogue and with who? And you have to be targeted in that. You know, I can see the eyes uh, as I kind of talk through this. I can envision uh, the faces of, you know, the dozens of government, you know, whether it be specific, specifically the contracting officers, glaze over when that person is asking or attempting to talk with them about an effort where it's not in their wheelhouse right now, you know? So that's one of the areas in which we really utilize the requirement zone, as I said, to certainly be more targeted in your conversation, more targeted in your approach to said government points of contact, and then also specifically being more targeted in that call plan in of itself to who are those, those, those points of contact and individuals that you need to be speaking to. Yeah, that's, that, it's funny. We could do an episode about each one of these, but I'm going to keep us going because yeah, there's, there's so many, so many great nuggets of information in that, in that just in the requirement zone. So let's jump to the market research zone. How are you using that in your, your capture planning? So again, market research zone, this is where, you, you know, we really look to capitalize on the relationships and the rapport that's developing. This is also where we want to show ourselves, again, active participants in this process, this overall acquisition lifecycle process. You know, industry is often, there's the, kind of like this tug of war between industry and government in terms of market research, sources, thought notices, requests for information, et cetera. And on our end, it's often, well, can you make them easier to respond to? Can you make them shorter? Or there's, this is just kind of, again, tug of war. And oftentimes the government is sitting there, well, hey, you know what? You guys aren't responding. You know, this, this specifically would hit home on the small business side. You know, oftentimes it's too late. Small business owner comes running into contracting officer or government uh, customer and says, hey, why didn't this go small business? And they're echoing back, well, we didn't hear from you during the requirements of market research phase. So this is a, a place where we want to show ourselves now that we've moved through the requirement zone, we're in market research, we've started to build a little bit of rapport. There's, there's been a garnered familiarity with us as a potential bidder or vendor with that customer, even if it's a current uh, customer, we still want to show ourselves, again, as those active participants in their mission and what their their goals uh, that they're looking to reach here. And it's at the end of the day, it's to uh, outsource a particular product or, or service uh, to, you know, industry, those deemed, quote unquote, the experts in delivering that. So, at that market research phase, that's what we're looking to do is show ourselves certainly leaning forward and being responsive and assisting them in responding to the RFIs, assisting them in some cases even to 
you know, have a clear understanding of the, the types of services or technologies or how you may want to ultimately structure the draft. These are things that I think if approached properly, you're showing that you're really looking to, to come along as that partnered organization in the development and really working with them as they go through um, their acquisition lifecycle. So that's what we're really looking to use and to participate in, in the market research side. And the phrase of active participant, I've actually, I wrote that down, active participant versus the tug of war. That's a great description of it. You can't be an active participant in every opportunity. So that's a limiting factor. It forces you to have to target. Because you, you, if, if you're thinking in terms of, I have to be an active participant in the process, then I've got to choose my targets wisely. And if you start with that mindset, the things will be easier. And, and you're right. The, the number of times as a contracting officer, I can tell you, the active participants are the ones that, again, I think we talked about this in the, in the Who Are You episode. I may not have known who they were. There's, in not every case, right. do I as a, as a contracting officer know who, the, who each offer is going to be. But somebody on the team knew. I remember the one that there were, there were three offers and two of them I had no idea who they were. I mean, I, I could Google them. I mean, they were established, right? I didn't recognize the names. The third one I did. But those other two, the users, the evaluation team, like, oh, yeah, we, we've known this company for years. Was, they had done exactly what you're talking about. They were active participants in making this customer aware. They knew the mission well enough that as soon as they wrote that proposal, it was kind of like the permission to win exercise. And that was a that one actually worked really well because it, it taught me I don't need to know everybody <laughs> as a contracting officer, which allows me <laughs> to target a lot better. So that, that's a great example of, of how you switch from being requirement, you're, you're building relationships is much more general, and, but you're still targeting those relationships. But then in the market research, now you're an active participant. And if you're not an active participant, when I get your proposal, I'm going to have this, who are you kind of feeling? And that's like, <laughs> Absolutely. And I can even give you, a, I mean, just, just to jump in very quickly, there's a very specific example just over the last couple of weeks, um, specifically in the market research arena, where we have we, we had raised our hand as, as you know, the desiring uh, vendor to submit for a particular RFI. And a couple of things slipped through the cracks here from an operations perspective, and we missed the actual submission deadline of the RFI. Now, you never want to miss a deadline, uh, you know, but being an RFI, not, you know, actual proposal, the pain doesn't sting as much. But had we not done some of these activities you're talking about here from the requirement zone and then that partnered approach on the market research, we wouldn't have been able to submit. We were able to get in front of the contracting officer in this particular case because they're kind of leading the, the research on this end, uh, the market research perspective. And we had that conversation and let them know, hey, here's what happened. We have everything queued up, prepared. If you allowed us to submit this, uh, you know, we'd be very grateful. And, you know, so we kind of came, you know, groveling a little bit, but <laughs> they gave us 30 minutes to get it in. And we already had it queued up, email was fired off. And so we were able to get that in. But it's, again, it's a part of showing yourself responsive and being engaged prior to that. Had we never made a phone call, had we never looked to, to build a relationship or any rapport with that customer or showed ourselves even interested in the R5, it's something just pulled down on the web, they would have never allowed that. So it was, it was really, you know, kind of a, a telling sign that, you know, utilizing these acquisition time zones and aligning them with the capture and business development activities that you should be performing within each one of them, uh, it helped us out a ton. Yeah, and, and that's a great example of, of, in that case, the government being flexible where they can. Like you said, you can be flexible in an RFI response. It, the, the trick is if you send it in after that date, the government doesn't have to use it, but they can. I remember getting calls exactly. 
I had a call from a, a company once. They were frantic that they had missed the window because they thought it operated like a like an RFP deadline, like a proposal. Once you send it late, I can't use it. And they said, this is just market research. It was funny to be able to walk them down off the cliff. I mean, they were frantic. They <laughs> to even submit. And I said, no. I said, don't do this when it's a proposal. <laughs> but you can do this. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and yeah, communication leads to that. Let's move to the RFP zone. How are you using that? Well, so the RFP zone is really, it's, it's kind of, I look at it as two parts. Uh, part one, you're really kind of checking to see of the activities and, and the desired kind of measure of your influence at the requirements of market research phase. If you're seeing any of that in the final draft of the RFP, if you're not, then that tells you something, right? <laughs> as yep. in the competition, there's others that are in there doing that. As well, that gives you an opportunity in the second part to truly voice to your leadership um, in terms of our case. And this is kind of a, a little bit uh, reaching back into the market research zone as well. Uh, when you come, when it comes to us walking through the various business development uh, lifecycle gates and reviews of the opportunity, again, this allows you to, at a very quick high level, communicate that to your leadership to get buy-in for pursuit of the opportunity. And that framework, I find, really just kind of cuts to the chase. You know, let's face it, we, we're, we're working uh, within, uh, at, at times, uh, particularly when we get to the, the fourth quarter of a fiscal year, very tight deadlines, very shortened timelines and parameters in which we have to qualify opportunities and move them through our, our respective pipelines and so forth. And the executive leadership is, is you know, they're strapped for time. So having a, a framework like that of the acquisition time zones where you not only are communicating to your leadership that you have a clear understanding of how this particular effort or procurement is transpiring, but you also are communicating to them that, hey, not only do we understand how the customer is going to operate within their particular buying cycle for this specific effort, we have also aligned and matched our efforts into steer or to go after this opportunity in parallel with that. So you're easily, uh, within the, the respective gate reviews, able to communicate that to leadership you can easily represent how much of an influence or how little you may have had over the RFP based off some of the activities you're performing in a requirements of market research zone, and thereby assisting you and your, your leadership arrive, in my opinion, at better go-no-go decisions, uh, also at better competitive uh, understanding and analysis around competition who would have been doing the same, uh, pursue, pursuing some of the same efforts, and allows you to you know better align a, a clear understanding of how you are also going to allocate those resources in pursuit. And I guess that could be a third one. Um, something I kind of alluded to before when we were in discussion, Kevin, was that as a capture manager, once you get to this phase, you're really kind of serving as that traffic cop. You know, you're, you're allocating resources internally for how you're going to pursue and develop your response, your proposal response for this particular RFP. And so you need to be able to, as, we, as you go through these acquisition time zones, understand who are going to be your major contributors, who are going to be your supporting elements and resources and turn into your department that's going to better help and aid you in properly marketing your, your, your services to the customer to help you get in front of the customer and speak their language back in the requirements of the market research phase. If you have an opportunity to get in front of the customer, they're leaning now more and more ever to having actual technical individuals who are going to be on the delivery side who understand how to align that with their mission goals. So it's probably not a good time to bring in just a, you know, a, a 
sales marketing person, not to, you know, <laughs> diminish that in any way, but if they can't truly speak to the potentiality of a solution, you know, you've kind of lost some time there or, or with the customer. And that FaceTime is so incredibly valuable. So I think that the RFP zone really allows you to, again, better uh, qualify and measure some of those efforts uh, once it's released and once you have entered into the RFP zone. I love this idea of it's a scorecard. When you lay out the requirement zone and, and how you're, you're, you're building that relationship and then the market research zone is you're actively, what do we call it? Active, an active participant in the process. And the RFP zone is where you get a score. <laughs> you look at this and go, okay, did, does this look anything like we expected? And if we spent the last couple of, whether it's I mean, large one, it could be years, smaller one, it could be weeks, any time that you spent trying to shape it, if you don't see evidence of your shaping, that's an indicator. <laughs> <laughs> that either absolutely, either they don't want you or somebody shaped it better, or it could be that they're going to stick with what they had. It doesn't matter what the reason is, but that's an indicator that you you ignore at your own peril. And that's exactly what you're doing is you're creating an environment where you can score and continue to target even more ruthlessly when the RFP comes out. Say, okay, well, it's the end of the fiscal year. I've only got four of these to look at. We've shaped four of them. We're really only going to be able to get like two of them out the door. Which ones do we have the best opportunity with? That is absolutely the approach. Several years ago, um, really, as I was getting into the, the thick of capture management, I took a look at the 1,001 different business development lifecycle uh, mechanisms that are out there, methodologies that are applied to any respective organization, right? And at the end of the day, what they're all looking to accomplish, in my opinion, is an iterative scoring cycle. Whereas you, you know, typical sales cycle, you have your funnel of opportunities or efforts you're, which you're pursuing, but you are consistently evaluating and analyzing and scoring and rating those opportunities as they move throughout your process and your funnel, thereby you're now fine tuning and allowing you to better allocate your resources. I think one of the grand mistakes or things that I've seen over my time in, in doing this is no, it's not, it's not as long as many is that. Oftentimes, the, the funnel gets larger at the top, but the resources get narrower at the bottom. <laughs> and account <laughs> that, hey, we're, we're, we add more business development or more capture or what have you professionals on the front end. So thereby, we can ingest a ton more opportunities. Our pipeline can grow to two billion. That's awesome. But yet, we still have a back office of one proposal professional, you know, <laughs> a one writer. So I think uh, kind of following through the acquisition time zones, as we've been discussing here, it allows you to not only better allocate your activities and how you align your resources on the front end of going after, but also how you're going to structure and allocate your resources on the back end in support of those pursuit efforts. Okay, so now that we've gotten through the first three zones, in the RFP zone in particular, we scored how effective we think our shaping was. The source selection zone is where we actually find out how effective it actually was, because let's assume for purposes of this conversation that you are planning to win the contract, and that's why you did this, right? So let's assume you're getting ready to win the contract. What are you doing during the source selection zone as a capture manager? During the source selection zone, and I would say even you know a little bit prior to that, and it's kind of the approach I would take with all of the time zones here is they they more so phase into each other. They aren't hard start and stops, right? So as you're approaching the source selection time zone, that's where you absolutely want to, if you haven't already, based on the solution that you're looking to put in front of the customer, really integrate your operations team. You know, you obviously would have had some of your key personnel perhaps identified, you know, your program managers and so forth that are going to be contributing to the effort, supporting the effort. 
You want to make sure that you have, again, further uh, understanding and allocation of those resources brought into the fold here. You also want to make sure that you have all the necessary parties on your contract team positioned to quickly and effectively communicate with the customer. Because the last thing you, you want to show yourself is a, is a, you know, slow to respond when the customer is looking to give you an award. You know, they're, they're saying, take my money. We're trying to get you a contract. <laughs> you're, showing, you're showing that you aren't quite ready for that. And that's, that's not the, the best way to start off, right? And, and as you move into you know, the ex- execution time zone. So here's the other thing that I found that the source selection zone, why personally, <laughs> my experience, well, this is a critical time zone, the acquisition process. Oftentimes, and I don't think this is the case for every organization, but for the business development capture professionals, we are trained and we operate in this industry to hunt and kill, right? To go out, find the opportunity, capture it, bag it, tag it, bring it back, help you know a little bit with the proposal process, get the thing out the door, and then we move on to the next. Well, there's a black hole that I found typically <laughs> that opportunities that you have responded to and, and, and have queued up there are post-submission as often as any that you refer to them from a proposal development perspective. You, you put the proposal in, you submitted it to the customer. And there could be, you know, anywhere from 30, 60, 90, sometimes a year, depending on uh, if there's a protest or what have you, until the award and the actual start of that contract. Well, having an acquisition time zone or, or again, a framework like that of source selection it allows it to remain at the forefront of the minds and to maintain visibility to the desired uh, resources that are committed to that effort, as well as to leadership. Having, a, 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 again, a, a structure or a framework like the source selection time zone where you can now iron out, again, those supporting duties and activities across your contracts, operations, and even some of your capture because it could be a, a strategic uh, effort a part of a, a larger uh, pursuit campaign that you are, have set up for a particular uh, customer agency or department, it allows you to have that framework where you can understand that this is an ongoing activity. This isn't just a submission and you move on to the next one and forget about it. There are certain activities that need to follow this, even if it's just something as simple as having someone from your proposals or contract team check in with the customer periodically to see how are we moving along with, with the award and the anticipated start date of the contract? So those are things that you know, I think really make the source selection zone important because it keeps it at the forefront of, of the organization's mind and visibility so you have a clear understanding of, of how to respond and, and, and how to prepare yourself for the execution time zones. It's an interesting point that the source selection zone is kind of longer. <laughs> it's a lot longer. <laughs> Uh, then the other, yeah. the other one, in fact, it could be longer than all three combined if we're not careful. But your point is that it keeps it at, at the forefront. And that's something that as a contracting officer, I didn't think about that. You're right. A larger organization, even mid-sized organization, if the proposal manager moves over, um, if, the, if the capture manager moves over, if the company's acquired, it's a small business and it's acquired and it submitted a bid three, four months ago, there's a lot of moving parts when an acquisition happens. That might be the one piece of information that, by the way, we put in a half a million dollar proposal, you know, six months ago. And even knowing who's going to be following up. If, if the contracts manager knows, okay, once it's in the source selection zone, it's mine to monitor just to make sure that they're, when they, when they reply, they're going to reply to me because I'm the one that you know, signed the, the proposal perhaps. What's that, what's that uh, rule that when everyone's responsible, nobody's responsible? <laughs> so you got to have one person. <laughs> say, okay, you're checking this, right? And it's funny how things can fall through the cracks. 
So keeping with our framework of the podcast episodes, why is this important? And I would argue that, that Myron, you're onto something. I thought others could benefit from, from the application of how you're using this. I mean, people, people may not really understand how to organize this. When, when you consider that everyone is strapped for time, time is the resource that we're all hunting for the most, I believe, because it's, it's, it's a finite resource, right? And the process you've laid out is saving people time. It's helping them understand how to use these zones in a way that's, that's going to make them more efficient, gives them a process to follow, et cetera. Um, you, you've kind of found like a podcast hack. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. And, and it's, it, again, I think it goes back to uh, every organization is seeking to accomplish more with less, whether you're talking industry or you're talking on the government side, right? And I think having a clear understanding of some framework by which you can design your operation, that you can construct your daily activities and duty to do your jobs and your respective roles uh, that also indicate how you allocate those resources those are the things, again, going back to planning, right, that are going to help you to better understand how your organization is going to operate and pursue the respective opportunities or efforts that you have in your pipeline. So uh, those are the, the, the ways in, in which I have found uh, great importance in, in applying the acquisition time zones. Again, it's one of those small tweaks that ultimately can make a big difference within an organization because in of themselves, the uh, framework around an acquisition time zones is educational. Whether you're pulling someone in who's fresh off the street, they just graduated and they don't have a clear understanding of the government contracting and acquisition life cycle, uh, or they're a veteran, this just allows you to place more of a constructive framework around it so that you can better communicate that to those who aren't as knowledgeable, but also so that you have something within uh, a bucket, so to speak, that you can communicate again to your leadership in terms of here's you know what you've accomplished uh, relative to that effort. And everybody wants progress. <laughs> it's great. Exactly. <laughs> so we'll switch to the government side. Why does the government care about this? And there are lots of different ways to slice this. And we've kind of talked through the time management side. I mean, the communication is all good stuff. It really comes down to when the government team understands what industry is doing or can do or thinks it can do in each of these zones and the communication is going to be better. It's that simple. Is it that the more we understand what the other side is doing, the better off we're going to be? As an example, just in the RFP zone, industry knows that the window for open communication, it's only open a crack now. Industry is not going to email the contracting officer as much because they know that they're not going to get as much information back. If we operate in the market research zone, the requirement zone with open communications, the RFP zone is not going to be so frustrating. The point being that the RFP zone is a result of the communication that happened in the market research zone and the requirement zone. And so on the, ind- on the industry side, it's pretty easy to say, you talked about having a scorecard. But on the government side, it's kind of the same way. The more questions they have, the more frustration there are, for that matter, you know, the more protests you get after, et cetera. That's a scorecard too. That's evidence that they didn't understand what was going on. And so that's why the government cares about the time zones because they, they work, well, work really well at helping people communicate what's the expectation in this zone what can happen and what cannot happen during each zone. So let's flip to the industry side. Well, use it is my argument. It's like <laughs> this, this works. I mean, if, if, after listening to you talk through it when we first chatted, plus listening through the details today, I mean, it, it, this is a better way to live. Absolutely. The improvement on communication within your organization, that is so key. The size of the organization is irrelevant. You know, you would think that the smaller the organization, the more uh, improved and better the communication would be. 
not always the case, you know, because we all tend to fall in our, our respective lanes. We get tunnel vision. We work on our piece of the project, right? And then when something finally hits us, it's because we haven't been able to look up and look across the overall process and have a clear understanding of what's coming our way. Uh, that creates, you know, inefficiencies, frustrations, you name it. So I think one of the biggest things here is certainly that improvement on communication. You're able to communicate up and down the line of your resources and how they're going to support that effort. And that in turn in itself saves time, right? There's so much in that. (laughs) And before I take us down another rabbit hole, I want to say thank you for sharing your perspective on this. It's been really helpful, not only for me to understand how you're actually applying it, but I I suspect you're going to get a lot of feedback from people who (laughs) want to learn more about this. So let's stop there for a second. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. Uh, Myron Hunter. Uh, I can give my email address here. I'm with Huntington Ingalls Industries. Email is myron.hunter at hii-tsd.com. And Myron is spelled M-Y-R-A-N. I know there's a lot of O-Ns out there, but I'm an A-N. <laughs> uh, Myron, again, dot hunter at hii-tsd.com underneath the Mission Driven Innovative Solutions Division of Huntington Ingalls Industries. This, this has been a really, really informative. I'm glad we we're able to actually find it after three months of trying. <laughs> Finally got ourselves both on the, on the podcast here. Uh, and again, thank you for your time. I, I appreciate that uh, you're able to share so much perspective on this. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. That's it for this episode. Thanks to our guest, Myron Hunter. Thanks to our sponsor, Skyway Acquisition. And thanks to you for joining us today. We'll see you in the Contracting Officer Podcast group on LinkedIn, and hopefully we'll see you here next week.